Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Good morning, Lifers. How are you doing today? Good. I want to give a shout out to everyone watching online as well. We're in a new day and age where it's not just us here, but all over the world. Did you know that we have people watch us from Abu Dhabi across the world? Yes. Like the, the internet and just the technology enables the gospel to go places in, in ways that we never thought possible. So it is awesome to uh, join with all of our family today. And yes, as Dave kind of stole my thunder, I had this big thing that I was going to say about our anniversary, but it, it is today, 17 years ago, this beautiful woman that I get to worship with every week said, I do, and I don't know if she knew what she was getting into because she probably would have said, I don't, but uh, I'm so thankful that it didn't go that way, um, but we are celebrating, been celebrating this weekend, and uh, um, I just, it's been a great, it's a great day. Do you believe it? It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be in the house of God. Uh, I'm just uh, thankful for those of you that are, are guests with us in the house today. I hope that you feel blessed. We believe everyone matters to God, that you are not here by accident. And I firmly believe that we all come in this place the same, but because of the presence of God, we leave changed. You leave differently. Even if you don't notice a huge difference, there is something that will be different in you today because of the presence of God. I firmly believe that today. It's awesome. Um, I, I just believe that today and really this season is going to be filled with so much joy. I, last week was such a blessing for me, being able to recount everything God has done in our church uh, over the last year. I mean, with all the stuff happening in the world today and being able, able to, to go through just the miracle after miracle that God did. If you uh, missed last week, you can catch online at our website at dlchurch.tv, or you can go onto Facebook or YouTube and, and catch the messages there, and I encourage you to do that. It's important that we blow up the testimony of God, that we declare God's greatness. It, it, and it's not just for testimony time uh, once a month or, or something, but that every day the testimony of God is on the lips of his people. I believe testimony gives us faith to believe not just that God can do what he did yesterday again, but to believe what he said he's going to do tomorrow. That there are promises that we're believing for, we're praying for, we're hoping for. And by recounting the blessings of yesterday, we can have the hope to believe for the promises for tomorrow. If uh, you check your worship guide, you should have a worship guide as you um, received on the way in. In there is our 2021 vision prayer points. We'll also have those on the screen here for you. In 2021, we're praying for three things. We're praying for 21 new families in 2021. We're praying for new leaders to come to our church to help us build this ministry that God is calling us to build. And then also that we would have a fully funded building program so that we can break ground in 2022. And if God could take us from 25 strong... At the end of last year, going into the beginning of last year, double us in size, double our bank account, and all the other miracles that God did over a pandemic year when we were shut down and trying to be silenced. If we pray into this and we believe God, imagine what he's going to do this year. I mean, there's no telling I mean, the, the things that God has in store. So over and over again in the life of Israel throughout the scripture, we have this call to remember his works. In Psalm 119, 1 through 6, it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. There is a blessing on those who keep the testimony of God. You wonder why sometimes life gets so discouraging. I believe it's because we forget the testimonies of God. We forget the good things that God has done over and again in the scripture as Israel's going through all these different trials and tribulations and struggles. Over and again, God says, am I not the God who brought you from the land of Egypt? Am I not the God who delivered you out of the hand of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt? Over and again, book after book, chapter after chapter, am I not the God 
who brought you out of Egypt. What was he doing? He was getting Israel to remember the miraculous rescue that God did in their history. What did God do? He took two million slaves who had not a dime to their name, no weapons in their arsenal, delivered them from the most powerful nation in all the world without firing a shot, made them leave paupers, but they entered the promised land as kings. They left on dry land through the waters that were separated in the depths and the heart of the sea. And then God destroyed the Egyptian army in one fell swoop. We're talking about a miracle that has never happened on this earth ever again. And God, again, reminds them, don't forget what I did in the past. Because if you remember what I did then, you'll believe there's nothing I can't do in the future. There's nothing our God cannot do. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You've commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast, keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. God's commandments, his word, his instructions, his precepts, they do not change. But beloved, our circumstances do. God's word never changes, but our circumstances do. And we can lose hope in the promises of God as we begin to slip off and begin to slip off his path that he has set before us because we're not holding fast to his testimonies. When we fail to remember, testimonies keep the flame of hope burning in the heart of God's people. Hope and his testimonies fan that flame of hope, and it helps us to believe in his promises. God's word never changes. God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but our circumstances do, which is why for us to move forward into God's blessings, we must hold fast to his testimonies of the past. And I believe we need to continue to give testimony for the things that God does, whether it's a miracle, a restoration of a relationship, maybe a provision of a need. There's nothing too small to be shared in the kingdom, which is why at the end of our services during our time of worship and response, we have a microphone down here set up so that God's people can testify about what God is doing because God is working in all of our lives in small and in big ways. And what I believe God is getting ready to do or what he's leading us into now is something very significant. What God is calling us as a church into is something very significant. And he's not just calling us to build a church, but he's calling on us to build a community. Not just to build an organization, but to build a community that's going to transform the culture around us. It's one thing to build an organization, but it's a totally different thing to build a community. And I believe God has a calling on the Clio area. I believe God has a purpose for this area. It's to be a place where the kingdom of God can be experienced. Where people can come to this place and they can encounter God in His presence. And I believe Vertical Life Church has been planted here to lead this community into kingdom culture to be the catalyst for what God wants to accomplish in this region. And there are some things that he's leading us to do, really seven focuses that God wants us to focus on as a church. Last week we talked about this is the year for building. This is the season to build. We've, we've cultivated the ground. Now it's to begin moving forward in the vision that God has for us. And now through this next seven weeks, we're going to begin to unpack the seven focuses that God has for us to focus on to become the very entity that he has purposed for us in this region. And there are seven focuses. I'm going to read to you the word that God laid on my heart last year on April 22nd when God revealed this vision to my heart, to my life in a time of prayer. As often as I do when I'm alone with the Lord, I'm, I write in my journal the things that he has for us. It's important if, if you don't write in a journal, I encourage you to begin doing it. Because what better way to keep the testimonies of God than to record them? Because how many times do we forget what God does? Or we forget, you know, the things he encouraged us or the, what we feel him doing and then we see him fulfill it. And without that record, we can't go back and say, oh, look what God did. So I, be, I began to journal and develop this discipline of journaling. And back on April 22nd, here's what God said to me. He said, write this down from the one who's faithful and true, the true witness. The glory is mine, says the Lord, and there is no other. Before time, I was the alpha, the beginning, and after time, I'm the omega at the end, the first and the last. 
There's nothing without my existence. There is no purpose without my intention. What I will do is that which I have carefully considered and planned. And this is what the sovereign Lord says, 72 days until the shift, the move that will set the course for future days. And my glory will be known. When you see my glory, know that it has begun. Not like in times past, but altogether new. There will be newness in the church and in the body. Rebirth and new life. You'll break forth like the dawn, complete darkness and then shocks of light and color until the whole sky is illuminated. Your ministry will flourish and have great growth in this light. And I'm sending you leaders to help organize and manage training for the vision I'm about to give you. You're to create a center for worship and breakthrough, a place for healing and hope, empowerment and a launch pad for people to discover and begin walking in the path of their divine destiny. This is God's call. Again, you are to create a center for worship and breakthrough, a place for healing and hope, empowerment, and a launch pad for people to discover and begin walking in the path of their divine destiny. When God laid that word on my heart, I began to feel a lot like Moses did when he was at the burning bush. Remember what happened at the burning bush? You know, the bush is on fire as, as you know, many bushes in that region catch fire spontaneously. So it's not really a, a, a phenomenon that was unusual. But this bush was burning but wasn't getting burnt up. And so and that was what caught Moses' attention. And it's so funny in the text as you read it. It's kind of like he's walking along and sees this bush and thinks to himself, huh, self? I should go check this out. And then he just kind of walks, walks over to the bush, you know, to see what's going on. But God calls out to him from amongst the bush. And he calls him to this great calling to lead Israel out of bondage, out of slavery. And Moses begins to argue with God and say, are you sure you got the right guy? I've got all of these problems. Like, didn't you know this? You're God. You're supposed to know about my problems. Didn't, didn't you know I can't really speak? I'm not that great in leadership. I have all, he started giving God all these excuses. And God simply said, I am that I am. I'm everything you need. And when God laid this on my heart, I began to kind of feel the same way. God, are you sure you got the right guy? I don't really know what I'm doing. I try to fake it pretty well, but reality is I don't, I'm making it up as I go. I'm just trying to follow the Spirit. You know, God, are you sure about this church? Have you seen our size? Have you seen our resources? Have you, have you seen we don't even have our own building? Like most churches have their own place. Are you sure you have the right church? And as I began to kind of wrestle with this, I began to really just remember God's word. Jesus said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And what I began to believe, it's not about my qualification that this is going to happen. Because when God calls you, he's not calling you according to what you can do. He's calling you according to what he can do through you. It's not about you. It's about him. And so as we begin to submit to this, we have to remember, it's not because we're great, it's because he's great, and he's just inviting us into the process. And that's what's exciting. It takes the responsibility off of our shoulders. And as we look back on what God did through the pandemic year, it gives us faith to press forward on what he's going to do this year. It's awesome. God's going to do the work, and he's going to get all the glory. So Jesus has given us seven areas of focus, and he's breaking them, broken them down really into three phases. And so we're going to go over these phases over the next few weeks. But the first phase, we're already beginning, but now we're going to begin putting a little bit more intention behind uh, as we talk through these things and begin to kind of work this out in our leadership team as we, as we press into this. But the phase one, the first focus we have is prayer. And before we get into prayer, how about we pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. God, there is no one like you. There is no one beside you. And God, we give you our full attention. God, we've come here to encounter your presence. And I can already sense your spirit moving in this place. And the joy of the Lord filling hearts, God. And, and I just love the promise that you take the garment or the, the sackcloth of sorrow and replace it with a garment of praise, God. That the joy is your inheritance. And so I just speak to every heart today. 
that every distraction, every worry, every burden would be cast aside, Lord, and that, and that your presence would just descend on us. God, your voice would speak clearly. God, that you would use me as your oracle, and as you cast vision, you would increase our, our faith and our hope in what God, what only you can do. God, we bless this now, and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. So I just want to recall your mind and attention to what we talked about, City Revive Weekend. We talked about prayer and how in the tabernacle, the altar of incense represented the prayer of God's people, and our prayers always descend before the Lord. And that was the place where God would encounter his people. And, and as we look at this, this symbology, we remember when Jesus entered into the temple and turned over the, the money changers' tables, uh, like people often think of Jesus as this passive guy, but I don't think the money changers thought him to be so passive on that day. He's turning tables over and, you know, running people out with a whip. But on that day, he, out of the groaning of his heart, he said, my house shall be known as a house of prayer. So this is God's intention for his house, that his house would be known as a house of prayer. And not just the physical building would be a house of prayer, but we know in the scripture that every believer, everyone who calls on the name of Christ is a stone, a spiritual stone, rightly fit in God's spiritual temple, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God, and that in his house it shall be known as a house of prayer. Prayer is of utmost importance to the Lord. And scripture places a huge emphasis on the prayers of God's people, not just the power of it, but also the necessity of it, the necessity of prayer for the church. You know, we live in a world today where many people in the Christian faith try to have as little to do with the faith as possible. Have you, have you like, noticed that? They, they, they are a part of the Christian faith, but when it comes down to living it out, they really want as little to do with it as possible. And in the scripture, the writer of Hebrews, he kind of prophesies about this this reality in the last days as he pens these words in Hebrews chapter 10. But here's what he says beginning in verse 23. He says, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering. For he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. But exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? The day of the end, the time of Christ's return. As it gets closer and closer to the time of the Lord's return, the days are going to get darker, not brighter. Jesus said, in this life there will be trial, there will be tribulation, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. There is a darkness coming on the world. And if we look at our world today, we can see a darkness on the world. Amen? So what is he saying? He's saying, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. Don't forsake coming together. Don't forsake it. At the end of the time that we have on this earth, it's going to come with an increase in attack from the enemy, an increase in struggle, an increase in temptation. You don't need less and less of the church. You need more and more of the church. And many believers today really don't want to meet together. It's a burden to meet together. You'd rather be somewhere else altogether than with the church. And I believe there are a few reasons for that. But the most, I think, primary reason why many don't want much to do with the church, if anything at all, is that there is a spirit of religion that's utterly corrupted the Christian faith into a system it was never intended to be. There is a force, a spiritual principality penned against the church that has corrupted it into something it was never meant to be. It was not meant to be an institution that had strict rules that made you feel guilty and ashamed for being alive. That was the law in the Old Testament, to show you your sin and how you didn't measure up. But Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus came to set us free from the law. It is for freedom that he set us free. The church was not meant to be a place to make people like just overcome with the reality of their sickness. It was to bring healing and hope. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 12, when asked by religious leaders why Jesus ate with 
who they considered sinners, people that didn't live like them and follow all the rules they had. Here's what Jesus said. So Jesus heard this and said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Now here is the insidious nature of this spirit of religion. Religion falsely convinces people who are sick that they are healthy and that they don't need a remedy. I've got all of these things. I've got my regimen in order. I've, I've got all my checklist in, it done, and I've filled all my vows. I, I'm good to go. I need nothing else. But Jesus called the religious elite poor, sick, naked, and blind. See, the church was not meant to be a hospital that shoot, shot the wounded. It's meant to be a hospital that healed the wounded, that brought people healing. Jesus came to heal those who knew they were sick. You see, repentance is not supposed to lead us to greater shame, but to lead to forgiveness in an encounter with the unconditional love of God, which is why Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You don't come on your knees to the Lord to get rebuked. You come to find mercy and help in the time of need. Religion shoots the wounded, but true faith heals the wounded. And many of us have grown up in religious systems that have left us sick and at times even more broken than when we came, which is why we don't want to gather in the church. It's not a place we're desperate to return to. It's a place we want to shun. We withhold our heart when we come. We remain isolated in our participation. If we're honest with ourselves, the root of much of our participation is more of an obligation to pay God back for the salvation he gave rather than out of the joy because of the salvation we experienced. It's an obligation to pay God back, which we cannot do, rather than a response of joy. In Psalm 51, it's one of my favorite psalms, David is, is writing, he's lamenting over his sin, and in Psalm 51 he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your spirit from me, but return unto me the joy of my salvation. And then I'll teach sinners your ways, and they will be converted unto thee. What he's saying is, out of the joy of my heart do I want to respond in obedience to you. Right now I'm condemned. Right now I feel ashamed, but I know that that's, that's not what you want from me. So God, cleanse me, heal me, return to me to that place of joy, and then watch what happens in the lives of those I encounter. They're going to be changed. It's not out of condemnation that we rise in faith. It's out of the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And this is the effect that religion has had on the body of Christ. It's robbed people of the joy of the Lord. And the Holy Spirit here in Hebrews is telling us not to abandon, don't forsake, do not reject, do not neglect, don't think badly of meeting together, but view it as a lifeline, something that you need more and more and more in your life, not less and less and less. To encourage your faith, to strengthen your walk, so you too can encourage and strengthen others. The gathering together is a necessity. If we're to be everything God has called us and created us to be. And not just to gather together, but when we gather, God wants us to pray. He wants us to pray. In the early church, after Jesus went to heaven, before the Feast of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 1, 14, says they all met together and were constantly united in what? This is your participation time. They are united in prayer. Prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brother of Jesus. After Pentecost, just the next chapter over, when the Spirit of God was poured out, and 3,000 believers came to Christ in one day, in Acts 2.42, they begin to form a community. The church begins to form together, and it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to what? Prayer. They devoted themselves. Paul, as he's writing letters to encourage the early churches that have been formed out of these missionary journeys in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, he says, devote yourselves to what? To prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. The early believers in a time of persecution, being rejected by culture in fear for their lives, understood the necessity 
of prayer, not just praying alone in the security and confines of your own home, but coming together, being united in prayer, and the power of God being at work in their midst. There are several reasons, there are seven reasons why I believe that prayer is vitally necessary in the church. And we're going to cover those today. If you're taking notes, there's space on your worship guide on the back. You can write down the notes or you can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. But I want to cover seven things or as reasons as to why prayer is vitally important and why God wants prayer to be a central focus of our church. Number one, prayer is how God partners with his people. Say that with me. Prayer is how God partners with his people. I want to take you back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. In chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, as it's recounting kind of what was happening during the creation days, as God is speaking the world into existence, it says, this is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing in the earth. For the Lord God had not sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. As you're reading, it just seems like a narrative. Here's what happened as God was creating. But here's a question I have for you. In the midst of his creation, though he made plants, he seeded the earth. The ground was not yet prepared for the wild plants and the grains to grow. Why was this an issue? Why was God concerned that there was nothing yet growing in the earth? What was God's remedy for that? He says, right there in the text, he said, Neither wild plants or grains were growing on the earth. The Lord God had not sent rain yet to water the earth, and there were no what? There were no people to cultivate the ground. Now think about this. You're omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful, almighty God. Do you need man to dig in the soil for the plants to grow? No. You don't need us. So why was this an issue? Why does this pop out as a problem for God? The one who spoke everything into existence. You see, God wanted his glory to be revealed in the earth. He wanted the earth to be teeming with life, to be filled with his glory, that his goodness would cover the surface of the earth from sea to shining sea. And the way he wanted to accomplish that was by using mankind to bring it about. God, Almighty God, and everything that He made wanted to use us to reveal His glory in all the earth. God would take great pleasure in watching His glory be revealed and being brought to life as mankind walked in step with Him. And of course, we ruin that by bringing sin into the world. But nonetheless, I believe God still gets great pleasure in watching us participate in His work. And not just participate, but he also likes to share his glory with us. The scripture says we are made in the image of God. We're made in his image to be like him. For some reason, God loves us beyond comparison, that this almighty one would share his glory with us. This is absolutely significant, that God wants to share his glory with you. He wants to reveal himself in you. He wants his light to shine through you. When Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His will is not questioned in heaven. But who questions it on the earth? It's us. The ones who have dominion and control. So his ultimate desire is for his glory to fill the earth. And the prayer is that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven that mankind would come into alignment and agreement with your perfect will and begin walking with God and not against God. That his glory could be revealed in us. As his image bearers, when we come into alignment with his will and we begin walking that out, how, how do we do that? We align ourselves by connecting our hearts with him in prayer. When you kneel before God and you begin to pray, pride doesn't stand because you recognize this holy and righteous God before you. God, not my will, but your will be done. 
so prayer is the key component in how we partner with God because it aligns our heart to his will so that we can begin walking out his will in the world. Number two, prayer releases angelic activity. Something we often do not think about is that there is a spiritual world around us that God has also created. And in this world, the spiritual realm, there is a war that's continually waging over the earth. And we have several accounts in Scripture of people praying and having angelic encounters. As a result, the most famous is in Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 9, 21, as Daniel receives this vision and he begins praying to God for the revelation of this vision. In verse 21, he says, As I was praying, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the earlier vision, came swiftly to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. As he's praying for revelation, God sends an angel to give him this revelation. Gabriel reveals that as Daniel was praying in this encounter, you can read it later, that the moment Daniel prayed, God sent the word, go tell Daniel the revelation. But there was a demonic power that stood in his way. In 21 days, Gabriel could not get to Daniel until finally, as Daniel's praying, God sends another angel, the angel Michael, to assist Gabriel. Gabriel's able to get free and go give the revelation. This is significant to us as we understand what's happening because our prayers are seen as acts of warfare in the enemy kingdom. Our prayers are not just willy-nilly requests to God. They're acts of war and declaration in the enemy kingdom. We are assigning the angels of heaven in our prayers about where to go and who to fight for. Think about a battle situation. Any military soldier that is a foot soldier on the front lines will tell you the key component in any battle that gives them uh, superiority against their enemy combatant is their communications. Without proper communications, they can't triangulate, they can't position themselves, they won't know when ambushes are coming, they can't signal for reinforcements. Communications are utterly vital for any battle situation. In spiritual warfare, as it pertains to the church, when we pray, we signal to God as his frontline combatants where the needs are, where the reinforcements are needed, what, what we need to send ahead, who we need to cover, where the enemies at work. And so we think about it in this realm as we pray the angels. God is called the Lord of heaven's armies. When we pray to the Lord of heaven's armies, he begins to assign the angels where to go, who to back up, who to fight for, whose marriage is in need, whose child is wandering away, who's sick and needs a healing. We begin to send angels in the direction that God needs to send them. This is the essence of what we're doing when we're praying. We're informing the Lord where the needs are. Matthew 16, 19, Jesus tells us something very key and specific. In Matthew 16, he says, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. Whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. The church of Jesus Christ has been given the keys to the kingdom of God. The door remains locked. We get to unlock it for whomever or whatever we choose. And may it be that it is opened or closed to the enemy depending on how we pray. What we fail to pray about is what we choose to permit. And yet what we pray about is what we choose to forbid. And may it also be that God will only take seriously the issues we take seriously. If it's not worth praying about, why do we need reinforcements? If it's not a concern... Why does God need to do anything else for us? We have the power, we have the authority to assign the priority list in heaven to forbid or to permit. And if we don't pray, we are opening the door for the enemy. In Ephesians 6, 18, Paul tells the church, he says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Pray for everything. And not just with your understanding, but without, with your understanding also. Pray in the Spirit. Pray all the time. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That there's this reality that the power to bind and loose falls on the church. We should be persistent in praying all the time. Pray without ceasing. This is one of the core values of our church that we build our ministry upon. Because how we choose to use our authority as believers will determine how we choose to intercede. 
We need to be aware of what's happening in the world, what seasons we're in, so we know how to pray for our world, how to pray for our lives and for one another. And may it be the reason why our nation is in the mess that it's in today because of a failure of the church to pray. Now, we pray when things get bad. But why does it take a tragedy or why does it take a negative situation to wake us up to pray? I think God is more interested in maintaining a standard than bailing us out when the standard falls. Why does it take a circumstance like this? Why do we only care when things are bad, when the enemy gains ground, when we're no longer holding the line but seem to be losing and giving footholds to the enemy? Why should we have to lose a battle before we realize that we're actually in a war? Why do we have to lose? When God has said, I've given you the keys of the kingdom. Imagine if God's people were people of prayer. And not just when it got bad, but all the time, on every occasion, for believers everywhere. See, as we partner with prayer, not only are angels released, but we're also covering one another. In 2 Corinthians 1.11, Paul says, you're helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks to God as graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. You see, answered prayer is an open door for testimony. If we're praying all the time, there ought to be a lot of testimony. Testimonies that fan the flame of hope in the body of Christ. As we release angels to do their task and prayers are answered and prayers are giving like people motivation to give thanks and praise to God, God gets greater glory. There's incentive to pray. But that leads into number three. Intercession requires diligence and perseverance. Prayers of intercession, a life of prayer requires diligence and perseverance. Like the angel said to Daniel in Daniel 9, the moment you prayed, God heard. The moment you uttered the words, God heard. It's, it's not like how it feels at times when we're praying and it feels like our prayers aren't going past the ceiling. The moment God's people pray, heaven hears the word. Heaven heard you. But in the midst of that prayer, a battle also broke out over you and over what you're praying. The angel tells Daniel, I was resisted so I couldn't come to you. So God had to send another angel. Every prayer we pray that's not fulfilled is not an unanswered prayer. You know, I heard a pastor a long time say, God answers prayer in three ways. Yes, no, and wait a while. That's foolish. God answers every prayer. Every prayer prayed according to his will. See, there are many reasons why prayers go unanswered. Scripture talks about those. We don't have time to get into them today. But Jesus said something specific, and James affirms this in his letter. If you pray according to the will of God, it's yes every time. Yes, every time. And so just because a prayer goes unanswered doesn't mean God said no. It could be that there is a war over your prayer. And so it takes persistence in praying because the more we press in, the more we pray, the more angels go to fight on our behalf. The more angels go to war over our prayers. The reason why some prayers don't get answered and with it's because we just stop praying. God, I prayed about this for, for two days now, and you haven't answered it yet. Oh. Shucks, I missed it. Missed the opportunity. No. God heard you. Heaven heard. But so did the devil. And sometimes I believe God allows a delay to see if we really mean what we say. If we really believe that God is good and that God is hearing us. You see, Jesus, as he's teaching on prayer, tries to hammer us with this point. He tries to hammer home that when you pray, and you know you're praying according to God's will because it's in his word, don't give up. Don't stop praying. Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, 7, Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened unto you. Jesus is saying, don't give up praying. Be persistent. Be diligent. Keep going after it. Don't stop 
We have to keep the spiritual war in mind as we're waging war in the heavenlies and recognize that when we pray, we're engaging in this war. When, when you step out and pray, you're walking into enemy territory. You're not just hanging out at home base in the bunker in the shelter of your home. You're stepping out into the front line and saying, enemy, I'm coming for you. I'm coming to take back something that rightfully belongs to Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm not letting you keep your hands on my family anymore. You don't get to determine the legacy of faith and righteousness in my home. You don't get to determine the course of my marriage. I'm taking this ground back, and the enemy is not going to take it lying down. So keep in your prayer. Keep asking. Keep praying. Keep knocking until the manifestation of prayer comes to pass. And there are many issues in our world and people that are crying out for the intercession of God's people. Which leads us to number four. Prayer requires faith. Prayer requires faith. Matthew 21, 22, Jesus, this is Jesus, in red letters. He says, all things, whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. Somebody say, shall receive. You shall receive all things that you ask, believing ye shall receive. If we're not serious about what we're praying for, why does God need to be? I believe one of the reasons that we stop praying, we stop interceding, we stop pressing in is because deep down, really don't believe God's going to answer. We don't believe. Because if we believed it, we would act differently. We would, we would make different decisions. We would carry ourselves differently. We wouldn't walk in defeat. We'd walk in overcoming joy and victory in that area. We wouldn't walk discouraged. We would walk full of faith and hope because we knew our God is coming through because he's faithful. He never fails. I believe the reason we are to keep praying, keep interceding, keep pressing in is because the level of intention we take, the level of seriousness determines how serious God takes the issue. How high on the priority list God places the request. And faith is what drives our commitment to pray. If we really believe God will do what he says, we won't give up. Again, I believe God sometimes delays his response to see if we really mean what we say, to test our faith. There's much God wants to accomplish in the world, much he wants to do in our community. And so not only do we need to pray, we need to believe that what we're asking will come to pass. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, so profound, but many of us don't equate this with prayer. Here's what he says. He says, without faith, somebody say without faith. Without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But he that cometh to God, if you want to go to God, you must believe that he is. He is what? I am that I am. The all-existing one. The all-sufficient one. The all-powerful one. The all-knowing one. The only one that can make a difference in your situation. The one who is completely good. The one whose love never fails. The one whose mercy is new every morning. You must believe that I am. And that I reward those who diligently seek me. You want something from the Lord? Without faith, it doesn't please him. Why? Because you don't believe he is. You don't believe he's provider. You don't believe he's healer. You don't believe he's good. You don't believe he never fails. You don't believe he's going to reward you if you keep going after it like he said you did. Prayer requires faith if we want to see the miraculous unleashed. If we want to see moves of God. We can't please God without faith. But when we lead with faith, it moves his heart to act on our behalf. And praise God. Number five, prayer releases the power of God. Acts 4.31. The church is new in 
new community. They're starting to endure religious persecution. A couple of them have already been imprisoned and beaten and told never to speak of this Jesus guy again. So what do they do? They gather for prayer. And it says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they preached the word of God with boldness. What are they doing? They're saying, God, our situation isn't good. God, the world looks terrifying. God, I don't know how this is going to work out, but God, I'm tired of being afraid. I'm tired of being scared. I'm tired of the enemy having his way in my life. God, we need a move. We need your spirit. Pour out your spirit. Fill us with boldness. Let signs, wonders, and miracles confirm this message so we can begin changing the atmosphere in this culture. And it says they were all filled with the spirit and the meeting place shook. Imagine in that place, all of a sudden an earthquake under your feet because of a move of God in your midst. This happened. But when did it happen? During the prayer? Before the prayer? Or after the prayer? After they prayed. Prayer releases the power of God. And when God came down in that room and the place shook and they were filled with the Spirit, they didn't rise up in fear. They rose up in boldness and preached the Word of God powerfully. They testified. And out of that, we see number six, prayer also heals. James 5, 15, and 16 says, Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick. The Lord will make you well. And if you've committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. We see really three things in this one little passage of Scripture. We see a prayer of faith to heal the sick. We see forgiveness in prayer. We see accountability and confession bringing healing spiritually, physically. We see how the prayer of a righteous person has great power, that there is healing power that is released in prayer. How many of you need the power of God in your life today? You need a healing. Maybe it's not physically. Maybe it's emotionally. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's financially. The Word of God reveals there is power to heal in prayer. And number seven, prayer also includes fasting. This is not a common exercise in modern-day Christianity. What is fasting? Fasting is denying the physical to build the spiritual. It's denying physical necessities to align yourself and your whole dependence on the Lord to build up the spiritual man. It's a holy alignment. In fasting, we see many different types of fasting in Scripture. Some options that we see today, those that continue to practice this exercise, says some fast food and water completely for a time. Some will fast a meal or two throughout the day. Some will mask their major or fast their major distractions, either their phone, Facebook, or television, any mind-numbing activities that they spend the majority of their time on. And they'll fast those things, they'll remove those things to focus that time and energy on hearing from the Lord. On interceding on behalf of what we're praying for. There are many verses about fasting in Scripture. One in Matthew chapter 9, 14 and 15, it says, One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, Why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while they're celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. What was he saying? He's saying, look, I'm here right now. It's party time. We're having a good old time. They don't need to wonder what my will is. They can just ask me, and I'll tell them plainly. My disciples don't need to do that, but one day I won't be here. I'm going to be with the Father, and then they'll fast because they won't be able to just come to me directly. They'll be walking in faith, and sometimes life will get confusing. Sometimes the noise will get loud. Sometimes we won't be able to discern. Sometimes we'll just be so low and discouraged and under the weight uh, of the enemy attacks and schemes that, that we just need a season of realignment, and that's when they'll fast. Matthew 6.16, Jesus 
also talking about prayer. He says, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will get. Notice he said, when you fast, not if. Not if you fast, but when. What's he doing? He's assuming this to be a regular activity in the life of those who follow the Lord. But what he says is, don't do it like the religious people. Don't do it to be looked at as spiritual. Don't proclaim to the world, I'm fasting. Don't go on Facebook and, and instead of taking a picture of this fancy meal that you made, you know, you take a picture of an empty plate and say, fasting for Jesus. You know, you know taking one for the kingdom. You know, it's like, don't do that. Because it's not to be applauded or to be doted on by men. It's to align yourself with the Lord. The time for fasting has come. Jesus has gone to heaven. We need to fast regularly and pray to keep ourselves aligned with the Spirit of God. Not to be applauded with those who are steeped in religion, but to wholly align ourselves with the will of God. To draw close to Him and to set ourselves apart for what He wants to do in our lives. In Acts 13, 2, it says, On one day these men were worshiping the Lord, and what? They were fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, dedicate or set apart Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. They were already in a time of fasting and worshiping. And the Holy Spirit was able to show up and say, set them apart because I'm calling them out for this great work. If they weren't in fasting in a season of holy alignment, they might have been too distracted or too busy to hear the call. So sometimes we need to enter into a season of alignment. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us into this season so that we can drown out all the stuff going on in the world, all the drama happening in our lives, drown these voices in our heads, remove a lot of this busyness that occupies a lot of our attention and causes us to get stressed out so we can drown these voices out and hear the one voice of the Holy Spirit. Fasting forces us to slow down and draw close to become dependent on God. And there's so much drama and chaos happening in the world and the news. I think in my lifetime, this is probably the most dramatic and ridiculous election season I've ever been a part of. But church, this is not the time for rants on Facebook. This is not the time for Republican versus Democrat. That's the world kingdom, and the enemy has control over it. It's time to walk in the kingdom of God. We're not citizens of earth. We're citizens of heaven. We don't get wrapped up in these things because we don't look from an earthly perspective. We look from a kingdom perspective. What is God saying in this day? What is God's heart? Does that mean there won't be a time where we need to stand up? I agree that there would be. The Revolutionary War would have never been fought if righteous people didn't stand up against tyranny. There might be a day where God calls on the people to do so, but that's not us because we don't wage war like humans do. We wage war in the heavenly realms. We have divine weapons that can tear down the strongholds of human reasoning and false arguments to stand up against the knowledge of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. It's not the time to fight like men. It's time to fight like God and like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of chaos in this world. As at times like this in the book of Joel, Joel 1.14 it says, announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring the leaders and all the people of the land into the temple of the Lord your God and cry out to him there. There's a trend in Christian circles to call a time of fasting in the moment of what could be a negative situation. But I believe more than a one time a year or a one, one time a decade time of fasting, God wants the people of God to be living a life of fasting. That we see the, these things prophetically and we begin to fast and pray. Be like, God, what do you want us to do in this season? What do you want us to be ready for? We know God is going to pour out his spirit. We know God is going to do something in, in the earth that we've never seen before. And he's called on us to be ready. Okay, God, how am I personally supposed to be ready? What's my role in this? 
What do do I need to be doing? And here he's saying, call the people of God together and announce a time of fasting together that as a corporate body, we can say, God, we are set aside for your use. Spirit, fall on us. Lead us. Guide us so that not only can we be ready for your blessing, but we can stand in the gap for those who are far from God. We can preach boldly. We can sing loudly. We can testify greatly. We can bring heaven to earth. First Peter 4, 7. It says, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Fasting requires discipline. It requires discipline. It requires foregoing comfort to press in to God. Now, as we see the signs and all the more reason for us to be diligent in prayer, persevering in fasting, I personally felt that God has spoken to my heart that throughout this year, there's going to be a season of trial and tribulation, which is why we're going to see a lot of joy because we're going to also get to see God move in powerful ways. We saw tribulation last year. We're here. We made it, right? But look at how much joy in the midst of what he did. And I believe what God wants for us as a church is to follow the Spirit and that we would press in in prayer and press in in a season of fasting through this year as the events of 2021 unfold, that we would stay in holy alignment and ready to respond and move when God calls. So I'm just going to encourage you, for those who will, for those who want to join God in what he's doing, beginning this week, to do a three-day fast. It's not long. Starting tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, to take up a fast and press in to the presence of God and pray for a 2021 vision. Pray for what's happening in our nation and around the world. Intercede for your family and your friends and the things that are on your heart. Take time to ask God, God, what are you saying? What are you doing? And how can I join you in that work? And I'm going to call us to a three-day fast every quarter this year, beginning this week, every three months to do a three-day fast. Just as a holy alignment so we stay in the presence of God and in the place where He can continue to work and move. And I like the word Chris shared last week in our church. If you were with us, he highlighted a word the Spirit spoke to him. was the word nepotism. We were having some conversation about that after church. And and he was talking about what the word nepotism means. And what it kind of meant to me and it spoke to me as I was evaluating that word is nepotism often refers to not just people who know somebody in a job. But when you have a, a relative that's working in a position and you get hired or, or promoted to a position, you may not necessarily qualified for, but you're promoted because of the ranking of the family member that's already in the organization, which is why most companies don't allow nepotism, because it's destructive, usually, in an organization. And how that resonated with me, especially, is what God has been laying on my heart to speak on and to teach, is that I really believe that many believers are walking in a nepotistic way their faith out in the life of Christ. What I mean by that is that rather than being responsible for your own relationship with God, you're riding on the coattails of a family member or a leader or somebody that you respect in the body of Christ, and you are gleaning from them, but you're not walking out your own faith. And so though you might be impacted, it's not your own relationship with God that's causing you to grow. You're living off the coattails or the breadcrumbs of somebody else's faith. And I believe God is calling us into something greater. God wants you to feed yourself Monday through Saturday. He wants you to be so filled with the Spirit when you walk in here that this place erupts. That God doesn't want you to wait for what the pastor has to say. He wants you to come excited because he's already been doing stuff in your life. And what we do in here is just elevates the, the worship and praise we give to God. That there's something he has for you on a personal level. And I believe this season of fasting is going to help you realign yourself as you silence the voices and the distraction, the busyness, 
and you focus on the presence of God, you get alone with the Lord, just you and Him, and you say, Lord, I am here. I am yours. Speak to me. I want to be aligned to your will for my life. God, point out what is in my life that's a distraction and help me lay it down so that I can be ready for the move. We need to be focusing on cultivating this heart of prayer and be aligned with the, the Lord. Why? Because what God is calling us to do as a church corporately in this focus of prayer, here's what he wants us to do as a church. He wants us to raise up intercessory prayer teams and cultivate a heart of prayer in our city. To raise up intercessory prayer teams and cultivate a heart of prayer in our city. And how do we do that, beloved, if we first are not people of prayer? How do we do it if we're riding on the coattails of someone else? How do we do it if we don't say, God, I'm going to step up. Lord, I hear the call. I want to be a person of prayer. I'm going to join in the fast. I'm going to start dedicating my life. I'm going to start listening for your voice. I'm going to start doing whatever I can to learn how to be a person of prayer, to intercede. God, lead me. When I pray, tell me what to pray. God, inform me. Teach me. I'm going to join prayer group. We have a prayer group that will meet every Sunday night. You don't know how to pray? Come. We'll show you how. It's easy. You just open your mouth and start talking to God. You just say, hey, God, this is what's going on. We're praying for this. Your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Crash course on prayer right there. It's not a big deal. God just wants your heart. But we need to become a people of prayer. This needs to be God's house of prayer. And I believe more than this, I see one day us having a house of prayer on our property that's open, if not 24-7, it's open seven days a week. That's going to be the place people go to study for school, to study for their messages, leaders in the city, praise teams from different churches around leading worship. I see this place being the hangout spot, not Starbucks in Bertrand. I see it being open where people want to come and encounter the presence of God in the middle of the night when... when you and your wife just didn't get along and you're on the brink and you don't know where to go, you can come to the house of God, into the house of prayer, encounter the Lord and receive ministry, be prophesied over, be prayed for. Just, I see this as something God wants to do and the ground has been set, but now we need to begin to build. We need to begin building on what God has been doing and that takes all of us to come together and say, God, we want to be a house of prayer. God, we want to be a family of prayer. God, I want to be a person of prayer. That your kingdom can come and your will can be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to leave you with one last scripture. With this vision in mind, the psalmist in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I've asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This word inquire means to meditate, to search out, or to seek. That I might dwell in His presence, and I might pray and encounter and fellowship with God all the days of my life. And this is what I see for our church. That it's a place where people can inquire of the Lord. A place where we'll be able to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and see His glory in every soul He touches, in every heart He changes. And in every life, He restores. Can you see it? Do you see it with me? Do you want to be a part of that? If you agree with me in your spirit, and I want to ask you to stand with me. And let's our, lift our hands to the Lord and let's receive this mandate. 
and surrender to this call of God on our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for salvation. And Holy Spirit, thank you for setting us apart for your work. Lord, we receive this mandate that your house shall be known as a house of prayer. God, we receive this mandate to take up the fast and wholly align ourselves with your goodness, your will, and your ways. God, there's a lot of crazy in this world, but we're crazy in faith. And what is impossible with man is more than possible with our God. And if you could save this wretched sinner, this broken man, and elevate him to a position he doesn't deserve. And you can gather us together from all walks of life into this place. And call us out to something profound, to a greater story, to a bigger purpose than we understand. Then God, we say, so be it, Lord. We agree. In Jesus' name, we receive it. church we want to say thank you for listening if this ministry has blessed you in any way please consider making a tax deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give thank you and god bless